Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh Koskinen, and I'm the face that you just saw in that intro video. So I'm famous. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait, it's not a holiday weekend, and why is the youth pastor preaching? But I'm here, and glad to be here. In all seriousness, this is a special sermon for me, uh, because this is the last time that I'll be able to preach here at First Christian on the stage, at least for the foreseeable future, because my family and I are moving to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I accepted a uh, campus pastor position there, and next weekend is our last weekend here at the church. And so this is really special for me to be able to uh, preach this sermon to everyone today. And I know that there are some people here, and I just want to recognize that, that maybe you, this is your first weekend here, and you've never met me, so... Hello and goodbye. <laughs> and maybe you're in Lovington and watching this uh, video stream and hello and goodbye to you as well. But I know some of you also are thinking, wait, didn't we hear that the Koskinens were leaving like back in May? Like what are they still doing here, you know? <laughs> and I'm here and <laughs> I'm glad to be here and to look at God's word with everyone today. And today we are continuing our quotable series, which focuses on scripture verses that are popular in today's culture, even outside of those that may typically attend church. And our verse for today is Philippians 4, verse 13, and it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you may have seen this verse in the news recently in a piece of controversy in baseball. And I'll read the news article to you, and it says this. League officials confirmed Thursday that AA baseball player and devout Christian Tim Tebow has been suspended for using performance-enhancing Bible verses both on and off the field. <laughs> Tebow was spotted injecting the encouraging Bible passages into his morning devotional in the team's locker room, and it was reported to appropriate authorities. He is barred from playing in the league until a full investigation of his Bible reading activities can be conducted. According to sources close to the matter, Tebow had looked around the room to make sure no one was there, but had forgotten about the closed circuit cameras. He then flipped to the highly illegal Philippians 4.13, slowly read it before hiding his Bible contraband back in his baseball bag and trotted out onto the field, thus giving him an unfair advantage that afternoon. And if you didn't catch on yet, uh, and you're about to go to the commissioner's office and do a little Tim Tebow protest, uh, that is a fake article. But it is a verse that we commonly see amongst athletes. And I remember actually when I was in uh, a Bible program growing up in Wisconsin, I remember reading this verse and uh, memorizing it. And I actually was climbing a tree one day when I was like eight or nine years old. And I remember that I was trying to get just a little bit higher in the tree. And I was thinking to myself, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like I could do this. And I remember athletes like writing that on the bottom of their shoes that were on my basketball team and stuff like that. And recently our church took a mission trip to Cuba. And while we were in Cuba, I had the opportunity to preach at the church there, and I did a very Philippians 4.13 uh, sermon. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I talked about perseverance and finishing well, and I told the story of a runner in the Olympics who 
uh, was running, and as he was running, felt a pop in his leg and fell down. And he gets up, and he's in last place, and he's hobbling towards the finish line. And afterwards, the news asked him, hey, why did you do this? And he said, my country didn't send me 7,000 miles to start a race. My country sent me 7,000 miles to finish one. Perseverance, I can do all things, right? And the next day, I was running down the beach. We were you know, doing an excursion, and I was running down the beach to give somebody something, and all of a sudden, everyone starts cheering, and I don't understand what's happening. I'm kind of doing a slow jog, slow run, and I hand a phone to somebody, and right before I do that, our Cuban translator bursts past me, and I was in the midst of a race that I didn't know I was in, and they were like, <laughs> you lost, you know, they're making fun of me, and... Uh, so after I handed somebody the phone, I drew a line in the sand, and I was like, okay, Adonis, and that was our Cuban translator's name. I'm like, let's go. Like, let's do this for real. And, you know, we're at the start of this race, and right before somebody says, ready, set, go, and there's a picture there, and you could tell I was going to be the clear winner. So... <laughs> Uh, right before they say, ready, set, go, we take off, and as I'm just running down the sand, about halfway in, I feel a pop in my leg, and I go down. I mean, I pulled my hamstring, and everyone around is like laughing hysterically, and they're like, Josh, you can do it. Finish the race, and they thought I was just being funny, and no, my, actually, it really hurt, and... <laughs> You know, I thought I could do all things through Christ. I had the faith, but my hamstring did not. <laughs> and so while Philippians 4.13 is often kind of viewed as maybe this magical verse that can help us climb higher in trees or maybe win races, uh, I wonder if that's really what it's all about. And so would you please open up your Bibles to Philippians 4, verse 4, and if you're in the West Auditorium or in Lovington, there are pew Bibles uh, in front of you where you're sitting. And if you are in the East Auditorium, there's someone walking around right now to give you a Bible. And if you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to take one home as our gift to you. But before we get to Philippians 4, verse 4, I want to give a little bit of background into what's happening in the life of Paul and in the life of the church in Philippi. Paul actually was on his second missionary journey, and it's described in Acts 16 that while he was on this journey, he got a vision, and this vision was to go to Philippi, that they needed help there. And so Paul responded to this vision that he had and went to Philippi. And while he was there, uh, he met with some people, and there were some people that came to know Christ and have a relationship with him. And Paul actually helped start the church in Philippi when he was there. And years later, after he left and uh, he was in Rome, Paul was actually arrested. And he was arrested because the Jews were angry that he was preaching the gospel in the way that he was. And in Acts 28, it describes that uh, Paul was um, going to be arrested and they, the Jews actually wanted him to be put to death. But the Romans were like, we're not finding anything wrong with him. So they placed him under arrest and put him in prison. And so Paul finds himself in prison, and he started the church in Philippi, and now he is writing a letter back to that church to let them know that he's in prison, to let them know that he's okay, to help address some issues that are happening in the church, but then also to encourage the church. And that's where we find ourselves in Philippians 4, verse 4, where it says this. 
Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul will stop right there. And Paul says, rejoice in all circumstances, which Paul is imprisoned at this moment, doesn't know when he's gonna get out, if he's gonna get out of prison under the Roman guard. And he is saying, rejoice in all circumstances and give thanks. And then do not be anxious about anything. And I think if anyone has an excuse to be anxious in this moment, it's Paul. Paul imprisoned and in the midst of you know, dire circumstances is saying, hey, it's okay that he has this faith to rejoice in all circumstances and give thanks and do not be anxious about anything, but pray. And I think that's really difficult. Uh, I've felt this so many times in life where I am just anxious about something. Maybe I have a responsibility, whether it's my family or finances or, you know, you name it. We can be anxious about a lot in our culture today. And yet Paul says in the midst of our anxious moments to pray, to give these things to God. And this is something that has become very real for our family in the, first, in the last six to nine months as we've been thinking about this transition to Wisconsin, you know, moving our kids and not knowing what the future is necessarily gonna look like and purchasing a home and all these different things. And it's the future is unknown in some ways. And maybe you have been there. Maybe you have been in a moment, maybe you're there right now where there's just a lot of anxiety and stress building up about your current situation, whether it's your job or your family or other circumstances in life. But yet Paul encourages the church, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, pray. And so when we do this, when we lift our need, the needs of our heart and the thoughts of our lives to God, we are actually making a statement, and there's three learnings that together I wanna unpack today, and the first one is this, that God is our guide. And when we give our anxious thoughts and when we rejoice in all circumstances and thank God for what he's doing in our lives, we are actually making a statement that God, we want you to guide us in life that we want you to take control. We don't wanna be the guide of our own lives because so often in life we try to take control of all the situations and manage things ourselves, which can cause a lot of anxiety or anxious moments or stress. But Paul is saying, no, lift these things up to God, petition God and pray. And then we are allowing him to be our guide. And I remember I was in Israel in 2000, um, 2011. And when I was in Israel, we had a few days of free time. And I went to the Sea of Galilee all by myself without a guide. And as I was there, it was the kind of the strangest moment for me because for those of you that know me in the room, I love to be around people. And I was in another country with, that spoke another language and I was all by myself and I rented a car and I was driving around the Sea of Galilee, stopping at all these sites 
in Israel, and I was trying to, you know, enjoy this moment of solitude, but it was just so weird for me. I didn't like it. And some of you are like, man, I need two days by myself right now. Uh, but I, it was just very odd for me. And there were a couple of bright moments where I found a family kind of barbecuing on the beach, and I noticed they had a jet ski. And I was like, if Jesus can walk on the Sea of Galilee, I want a jet ski on it, right? So I went up to them, and I, even though there's a language barrier, I'm negotiating, like, getting on the jet ski. He finally agrees to take me off and uh, to take me out, and I throw my keys and my passport and my wallet in this waterproof compartment of the jet ski. And as we're out on the water, he's, like, starting to whip the jet ski to get me off of it. And I was like, ah, no. Like, I was just holding on for dear life, and then all of a sudden he, like, goes, jerks it really hard, and I fly off. And as I hit the water, I think to myself, you have the keys to my car, my passport, and my wallet. Like, I'm a little, <laughs> I was a little stressed out in that moment. Uh, but he laughed and came back to get me and, you know, brought me back. But as I traveled around the Sea of Galilee, there were just a lot that, there was a lot that I missed in those moments because I didn't have a guide. And we went back uh, to Israel and the church went, took a team there um, just this last October. And as we were there, we had a guide and I went back to the Sea of Galilee and this guide is pointing out all these things that took place around that area. Like this is where Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount. This is where Jesus fed the 5,000. This is where Jesus performed this miracle. And all these things this guide is pointing out and what I realized is he was pointing out the beauty in the ordinary. And in that moment, I thought, when God is our guide, he points out the beauty in the ordinary moments of life. That when we surrender to him and allow him to take control of our lives, he shows us things. And he points out the beauty in the ordinary. Well, let's read further in Philippians 4, verse 8, to see what else Paul has to say. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul says, hey, in the midst of what's going on in my life, I want you to look at how I'm handling this situation and I want you to put into practice what I am doing, thinking about heavenly things and put these things into practice in the midst of my suffering and my rejoicing in who God is. And so our second learning in Philippians 4 through Paul is to be the example. Paul, while he's in jail, is, he's displaying that in the ups and in the downs, God is there. And he says, watch me and put into practice what I do, and God's peace will be on you. And in 1 Corinthians 11, which is another letter of encouragement Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, he says this, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. And so Paul understood that God is the guide of his life, and as he follows Christ's example, he wants others to follow him as he follows Christ. This great big game of follow the leader, right? I worked in a daycare 
when I was in college, and we would play this game of follow the leader right before we were trying to transition the kids to eat at their table for lunch. And we do crazy things, and then we sit down, and we be quiet, and we eat. And this was you know, a transitional moment of everyone kind of following the leader. But Paul invites us into this in our relationship with God. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ's example. And as we do this, other people start to get in line because if you, know, if you have any influence in kids' lives, you've probably heard the phrase, be the example. And you probably have realized that whether um, you want them to or not, that kids are watching your every movement and attitude in all situations. I remember probably five years ago, my son was uh, four years old and he had this picture Bible that he had been given by the church and uh, I was sitting at the kitchen table and I was underlining verses in my Bible. And as I was doing this, he went to his room, he grabs his picture Bible, he comes out, he sits down, he grabs a marker and he starts underlining like the very few words that are in this picture Bible. And I thought to myself in this moment like, yes, like I'm doing it right. Like, you know, where's, where's my phone so I can Instagram this and be encouraged, right? No, but uh, in, the, in that moment, like, I just felt like, yeah, okay, this is a good example. And then, you know, you have the moments, like, even just days later where you're cleaning up, you know, things. I was cleaning up the house, and the boys are helping me. And as they're doing this, I see that one of my kids is kicking things under the couch. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this isn't how you clean. And he looks at me, he's like, this is how you clean. And I was just kind of busted for that, <laughs> I suppose. But Paul is encouraging us that in the midst of life, to follow, he is following the example of Christ, and he is telling the church in Philippi, follow, like, follow me, put into practice what I am doing, that I am in the midst of suffering, I'm in the midst of chains, uh, there's a lot that's going on, and Paul has, like I said, every excuse to have the worst attitude, but Paul says, look at me and put into practice what I'm doing. Think about heavenly things. And you may be thinking, hold on, Josh, like Paul is a super Christian. Like he wrote the majority of the New Testament and you know, it's easy for him to say, look at what I'm doing and put it into practice. But Paul is encouraging everyone and Paul understands that the gospel is not just spread through him, right? That it's empowering others to follow Jesus and to be on that journey as well. And Paul is inviting the church of Philippi into this and encouraging them because Paul knows that if the church in Philippi is following his example, then other people will see the love of Christ through them and follow their example as well. And so let's look at Philippians 4, 10 through 13 to see his last piece of encouragement that we're gonna look at today. And Paul says this in verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content in whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do this 
through him who gives me strength. And that's our verse for today. Another translation, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And so Philippians 4.13 shows us that Paul, in the midst of a terrible situation, still has hope. And actually in Greek, in our last piece of learning for today is, in Greek, that's I am able in all things with Jesus. That I am able in all things with Jesus. And I recognize that when I say that, uh, that there are some people in the room right now who might be in the midst of uh, a time of need. That when Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, that that is you right now. And so when I say I am able in all things with Jesus, and I've heard this in so many sermons, and I've even preached it before, and you know, I've been in places in life where when I hear I am able in all things, and I'm in the midst of what I'm gonna call a valley, it's tough to hear because it's like, oh yeah, is this gonna get me out of the valley that I'm able in all things with Jesus? And so I recognize that there are people in the room right now who are in those valley moments in life, that life has thrown you significant curveballs and uh, you don't quite know how to deal with it and you're feeling defeated. But what we learn through Philippians 4.13 is I am able in all things with Jesus who gives me strength. That Jesus is the source of our strength and the source of our hope. And we know that because Jesus came to this earth and lived a perfect and sinless death and then died on the cross for our sins. And that it didn't just end there, that Jesus didn't just die on the cross for our sins, but Jesus rose from the dead and gave us life. And that because of that, we have hope that Jesus defeated sin and defeated death and defeated every valley moment that we may have. And yes, I totally understand that it's tough when you're in the midst of the valley to think, okay, I am able in all things with Jesus, but Jesus is the source of your strength, that you're not gonna get out of that valley without Jesus because it is Jesus who gives you strength. It is Jesus that gives you hope. You know, I was talking with a student last week who lost her mom a few years ago, and this student recently graduated high school. And as we were talking about valley moments and processing grief and loss, I asked her kind of how she dealt with it and how she continues to deal with it. And she said it was really difficult when uh, people would say, oh, we, we just know that God's plans are bigger than our plans. Or insinuating that in some ways her mom's death was a part of God's greater plan. And it really made her feel defeated in that moment and not having a way out of that valley because how could God do this? I don't understand. And somebody said to her one day and encouraged her that, hey, I don't think that this was God's plan for you to feel this way, that death is a result of sin and it's a result of sin in this world. But I don't think that it was God's plan. And yes, God can get you out of it and God can make something out of it, but it wasn't God's plan for you to feel the way that you're feeling. And she said in that moment, she realized the hope that she had in Jesus, that God wasn't the orchestrator of the pain, 
but God was her strength to get her out of that valley, and God was her comforter in that hard time. And we remember the hope that we have in Jesus. And so I know that that's a few of you in the room uh, right now, or many of you in the room are in this valley moment. But on on a different note, on kind of the opposite side of the spectrum, I'll say, I know that there are people that are in the room who also have what I'm gonna call valley guilt. And valley guilt, as defined by me today, you can coin this and copyright it, is um, when you have experienced some trials in your life, but as you look around and you compare those trials to others, you actually have this thought like, I've never been in a valley because my pain is nowhere close to that other person's pain. Take a Grow Together small group, for example. Uh, You're sitting in a small group, and you've had a really rough week, right? Your kids have not listened at all. They've been doing the exact opposite of what you have wanted them to do, and you're feeling defeated as a parent. And you're like, man, I'm so lost. Like, I, I really need help. I'm gonna bring this prayer request to my small group tonight. So you're all prepared to bring this prayer request to your group, and as the group ends, Uh, there's somebody that goes right before you, the couple sitting right next to you, and they say, well, we've had quite the day. Like this morning when we woke up, uh, we were eating breakfast, and all of a sudden we hear this giant crash, and yesterday we had bought a brand new 2018, 2019 minivan, and it was awesome. It's, you know, all, you know, all included, all the things, and um, a meteor came down from space and landed right on the brand new minivan. And you think to yourself, like, wow. And then you think, like, I can't believe you're bringing this up at the end of the night, right? Like, why didn't you tell us before? And how did you get here? But, you know, (laughs) you're thinking of all all these thoughts. And then they're like, yeah, and once the meteor hit the car, like, we went to grab our phones to call the police, and our kids went to grab their phones, which were all brand new iPhones, to take a picture of the meteor, and uh, they, we went to grab them, and they were melted, just piles of metal from the energy coming off of the meteor. I'm not a scientist, guys, but it could happen, right? <laughs> So all these things are happening, and then they go and they drive. They get in their second minivan. Yes, this family owns two minivans. They go to the police station, and they're filling out this police report. They tell the police officer. The husband hands them his ID, and then the police officer realizes that the husband has an unpaid parking ticket from 2002 and books him, puts him in jail for it, the thousands of dollars of fines, and this family is, like, defeated. And I know that that was, if that ever happens, please call me, even in Wisconsin. I'd like to know about it, but that's a lot. And as you're sitting there, you're thinking, wow, I was gonna bring up that my kids are misbehaving, and now this moment, I, I, it's not even worth it. Like their day is way worse than my day. And what I would say to that in the Valley Guilt is that the feeling of defeat, whether seemingly big or seemingly small, right? The feeling of defeat is there for everyone, regardless of the kind of valley that you're in, regardless of the circumstances. And in that, we need to remember Philippians 4.13, that I am able in all things with Jesus, who is the source of our strength. That in the moments of 
feeling defeated, we need to remember the hope and the victory that we have in Jesus. And so we learn from Philippians 4 that God is our guide, that we need to be the example as we follow Paul's example, and that we are able in all things with Jesus. And in thinking of this passage, I realize that I've been impacted a lot personally by these three learning points from today. God is my guide. He led me here to Decatur uh, seven years ago, which has been so great to be the example, and I've had many great examples to learn from here at this church. And that I am able in all things, that I don't know what the future holds for me or looks like, but I know that I am able in all things with Jesus. And as I said at the beginning of my message, this is a really special sermon for me because it also gives me the opportunity to say thank you to this church. That seven years ago, this church hired uh, and took a chance on a 23-year-old youth pastor uh, who wasn't even from Decatur. In fact, when I got here, I pronounced it Decatur. <laughs> I had little experience when we moved to Decatur. I had two kids, uh, Soren and Kelton. And you had no idea what you were in for, and I had no idea what I was in for either. And in that last seven years, I learned a lot about what it means to be a father, a husband, and a follower of Jesus. And Wayne and Brian have taught me way more than I could ever say about what it means to be a pastor and what it means to be a leader. And as a church, you were here for me when we brought Olin, uh, you're here for my family, when we brought Olin home from the hospital and when we brought, brought Hervé home from the other side of the world. And you supported us through that. I've had the privilege to see an entire class come into sixth grade and now graduate high school this past year. And for almost that entire time, I've worked with closely with Thomas Hagen and Heather Vance, and they've taught me so much about what it means to be a servant leader. Uh, Heather has... Uh, taught me patience, which she has needed a lot working with me. And they've taught me a lot about leadership. And this whole staff has been like a family uh, to me. And it's just been so amazing to be a part of that and to be welcomed in to that. Together as a church, we went on many mission trips, experienced the loss of a youth student, and everyone here helped me grow significantly as a friend, leader, and follower of Christ. We've had some amazing students that I've been able to work with and student leaders who are here in this room and in the East Auditorium as well. And being on staff here with the pastor's family ministry team has been awesome. And Jonathan Grundon and I leading crazy Serve Together celebrations, uh, him allowing me to be Dwayne Lumberjackson for men's ministry events, and everyone cheering me on as I've tried to make uh, an impact for the kingdom of God here and put a smile on people's faces as I've done so. So thank you to everyone who, uh, for building me up as a leader, for being patient with me when it was necessary and for giving me the tools that I need in order to fulfill God's call in my family's life for the future. And I'm truly blessed to have FCC 
as a part of my family story. And so now, I'm going to invite you to my own party. And that takes place next week, which is our last Sunday here. Uh, we are going to the Decatur Surf Club, and from five to eight, it's a free event. Bring kids, bring yourselves. It's just gonna be a really good time, and it would really mean a lot to my family to be able to hang out with our church family here before we uh, move to Wisconsin the following week. And so for all of us, would we pray that God would be our guide in life? Would we follow the example of Christ? And would we know, and would we know together that we are able in all things with Jesus? Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for who you are. And God, you are our guide in life, wherever life takes us. And God, I just pray that we would cling to that and that we would know that as we are following you, uh, there are people that are watching us and would you help us to be the example in that, that we could point other people to you by the way in which we follow you. And that God, we would know that regardless of the circumstances of what's taking place in our life, uh, that we are able in all things with Jesus because Jesus is the source of our strength. And would we always remember that when we are feeling defeated, when we are feeling anxious about what's next, God, that we would know that you are the source of our strength, you are a comforter, and you are with us as we journey out of the valley. And would you carry us through that? And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.